listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back with a regular show. No interviews, no trilogies. <laughs> Just a good old-fashioned movie review and feedback. Yeah, a little boulevardmovies.com this week. Uh, and it was Will's pick. And uh, Will selected uh, Walker, which IMDb says from 1987. And some other things I've seen, like on Miso and some other weird places, say 81. So I don't know. Whatever. I think it's 87. Yeah, it looks more 87 than 81 to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a big difference between 81 films and 87 films. A big difference. Oh, yeah. Things changed a lot in those six years. But, uh, yeah, I am Samurai. He is Large William. We review movies. We have fun. We do it early in the morning. And uh, let's get into what we've been watching because it's been a while since we talked about it. Yeah, it's going to be a lengthy list. Um, it's been, I think, two or three weeks since we've done it. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, okay, so first up, um, some time ago I went to see Looper. Uh, big fan of Ryan Johnson. And uh, I was trying to do a triple bill of Looper, Dread, and either Argo or The Master or End of Watch or something. But I just didn't have time. And uh, the time when I was going to go, Looper was the one. So um, I watched it and I thought it was quite good. Um the problem with time travel movies is you have to you have to put aside some nitpicking because inevitably it's fuzzy science to begin with. Right. Um, I thought it was quite good. It'll definitely make my top thirty. And for someone who doesn't like Bruce Willis, I liked him in this film. Johnson's a filmmaker I've had my eye on since Brick. So mm-hmm. good film, and I'm a big Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan. And I think uh, someone to pose this in our group. Film costs less than $30 million. I think it's a testament to the, the amount of excess and waste that goes on in Hollywood when a film that good can be made for the, the relatively tiny amount that some of these other blockbusters are made for. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, then I watched Toy Story, the Blu-ray. Um, we got it from... Um, Good family friends, dear friends of mine, for the boys' birthdays because they were in October. Um, Toy Story One is actually the only one I've ever seen of the three, mm-hmm. so uh, you know I'm gonna probably remedy that and pick up two and three on Blu-ray. But uh, it's it looks fantastic on blue, as you could imagine. Um, and it's it's a film that as I've gotten older and have kids has more poignancy for me. So right. you know I'm starting to kind of get now. I'm starting to see these Pixar films, which you and I talked about years ago. Um, that you know, kids' movies really like to have kids, and it's it's that time. So I think it was it was good timing for me to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, being October, I wanted to get in as much horror related stuff as I could. So, uh, oh goodness, yeah. in one of those. You gotta, um, so you got a yawn in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a lot of yawns in. So I continued my horror movie watching. Uh, I did Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, I'd heard this was kind of a high watermark for their, their franchise. I'd never seen any of their films. 
And, you know, I want to do something different for the month. So I watched it. It was okay. You know, uh, the problem with comedy is when something's good, it's been aped uh, ever since. Oh, yeah. Um, I just find this stuff didn't seem as fresh to me as, as Keaton or Marx Brothers works. Right. You know, it was okay, though. Uh, then Bava was on Instant. So I watched Bay of Blood, which is a Bava I'd never seen. I'd always been mixing it up with Baron Blood, which I have seen and quite enjoy for, for a castle film. Yeah. Um, as far as settings go, yeah, um, <laughs> the castle. Yeah, yeah, it's you know got a pretty cool castle, and mm-hmm. Anita Strindberg, you know, it's got a great scream. But uh, Beyblood, it's it's very much a, a proto slasher. It's got a um, really great setting. This this area outdoor, this um, kind of wooded area, late fall. Um, it's well shot and it's very brutal. But mm-hmm. it, it feels like to me that it's Bava late in his cycle, trying to keep up with the. The big dogs, as far as sleaze and gore go. Yep. You know, he's a classy filmmaker. Um, you know, as I've often said, he doesn't really work for me like any of the other Jali masters do. But it's just still a watch. There's some fucking brutal kills in it. Yep. It's, uh, it's, most people say it's the 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 real first slasher. So mm. it it kind of is. Yeah, I could see that. And there's definitely a few kills in this that. You know, back in, I don't know, 78, 79. 78 when it went into production, probably 79 when it was made. Sean Cunningham thought, Oh, yeah. I got a, I got a chance to see this Italian film. No one's going to know where these kills are from. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Sean Cunningham really, <laughs> really ripped on it, man. <laughs> oh, did he ever? Uh, then I was sick that day, actually. I was, that's right. So I did a double. I saw, I rewatched Larry Cohen's The Stuff. Oh, nice. Which, uh, it's a fun film, man. Cohen's a, you know, pretty good filmmaker. Um, Michael Moriarty owns in the film. Yeah. If it wasn't for him, the film would definitely drop a point, point and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun, man. You know, uh, good, you know, good kind of melty film. And actually, you know who puts in a good performance is um, um, African American actor SNL uh, Chocolate Chip Charlie. God, what's his name? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I, I'm drawing a blank. But I love. He chocolate. was. He was in the, uh, not Vernon. He was in the first SNL cast. Um, Oh, I can't remember his name, but I know who you're talking about. Chocolate yeah, Chip Charlie, yeah. I love that name. Yeah, yeah he's good. Uh, then the kids, I wanted to drop Mad Monster Party on them, so I did. Nice. And they flipped their lid for it. And William said that my mother was uh, the, Clor- the uh, um, not Cloris Leachman, fuck, no, I'm really drawing blanks. The, the old woman, she's a comedian, Phyllis Diller. He's like, oh, Grandma's Phyllis Diller. I'm Dracula. I told my mom she had a good laugh about that. <laughs> <laughs> so did I, actually. My, mom, my poor mother being compared to Phyllis Diller. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, of course, my wife called being Francesca, you know, the dishy redhead. Yeah. Uh, um, so then I watched uh, Alone in the Dark, which was one that was recommended to me by Aaron. He reviewed it on the blog. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting film in the slasher genre in that you get three... Three or four really solid actors in it. You get Palance, um, you get uh, was it uh, the crazy man from A Team, helicopter pilot man. Oh, Murdoch. <sighs> yeah, Murdoch. I always mix up Murdoch and Hannibal. I think. Yeah, I always mix those two up in terms of their names. Yeah, I just want to call Hannibal Murdoch. Um, it's got uh, Martin Landau, who was cashing a lot of checks, man, back then. Him and Palance both. Yeah. Really cash and some all, all, so I, all I know about that film behind the scenes is that uh, Palance was, uh, let's just say, not happy. Oh, no? Making that movie. 
<laughs> oh, interesting. He puts in a good performance. I know. You know he was pretty rude. As what uh, I read an interview with the uh, Murdoch guy, and he said oh, wow. that Balance was uh, not the nicest gentleman. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've gotten to see a lot more Palance as I've gotten older, obviously, and it's a shame he wasn't 10 or 15 years younger when the Euro boom hit because he did a lot of Euro crime. Mm-hmm. And he's good in it, but he's always playing the older heavy. I wish he had been a little more spry to do some of the uh, kind of ass-kicking stuff. Yeah, but it's a good film. It has a, a pretty good twist that I did, I did for I did forecast well beforehand. But I think it's reasonably well guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you're not you know a real seasoned vet, would you'd kind of kind of knock you out. So then I watched Devil Story, which I had heard described as an exit. If if uh, Burial Ground was an existential film, this would be that film. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's French. It is probably as inept as um uh burial ground. It's really it's one for the ages in terms of how inept it is. Well, that's um, saying a lot of it's an inept yeah. as burial ground. In fact I would go so far as to say burial ground is a more competently made film. <laughs> well, I mean Bianchi's not a bad filmmaker, we know this. No, Cry of a Prostitute. Yeah. And and other films. I think we did another film of his too. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's not a bad filmmaker. It's just Barrel Ground's pretty special. <laughs> if anyone can get their hands on Devil Story, you're either going to hate it for how inept it is and, and just, you know, awful it is, or you're really going to love it because it's so fucking terrible. And I was in the right mood to watch it. Nice. Like they have footage of a guy, an old man. There's a, there's a possessed horse in it. And... <laughs> Yeah, and that's believe me, that's literally just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> and they have seven minutes of footage of this horse running in a circle. That's like it's like neighing and it's bucking and all this, and that's supposed to be it when it's possessed. So they have seven minutes of of stock footage of the horse running in circles with this Frenchman trying to shoot it with a shotgun. <laughs> Jesus, and it's the, you know it's the same like say ten seconds of footage with the horse. Nice, I know it's, the. It's, the uh, Bianchi would have heard you say that. That's just tip the iceberg, and he would have said, "Ah, a possessed iceberg." That's my next film. He would have. <laughs> he absolutely would have. It would have been interesting. <laughs> um, possibilities are endless. <laughs> uh, then I decided to rewatch some Mercoli. Wanted to dip uh, back in Italy. It was my wife, so you know she's always has a soft spot for Jali. So we watched Death Walks at Midnight. Which is good. I don't think it's as good as Death Walks on High Heels because I have the No Shame box set. Uh, I prefer heels. That is Frank Wolf. So um, then I watched Justice Hurts, the making of Creepshow, oh. which was a Region B special feature. It was a feature-length documentary on the making of Creepshow. It's quite good, man. It's one of those ones. You know, if you love the film, you'll love hearing some of the really wild stories about the making of the film. Nice, like the cockroach wrangling that had to be done. I can only imagine. Oh, good Lord. It's a pretty incredible story, man. Um, good documentary, though. And what the sad thing someone had told me in the group was um, the special features are fantastic on the Region B disc. This is just a normal DVD, I believe. Maybe it's the blue. And the man who made them offered them to whatever studio it is in America has Creep Show here. They said, you can have them for free. And they said, no, because they just didn't want to be bothered to make a menu for the film. Yeah, you know. You know, that's a, something I hear all the time with the big labels. The big labels, uh, you know, the big studio labels, they really don't like to do. And it makes no sense to me. They really don't no. like to do all that stuff. They don't like to put all that money into old films. And I think it's, you know, personally, I just think it's silly. It and, is very uh, silly. And considering they literally only have to make a menu. Yeah, I know. 
I know. Like how much does that take? I know, but you know, I, you know the boutique labels. You know, I think that I think Hollywood thinks that you know the boutique labels people buy those only a certain quote unquote. I don't know. Crowd buys the boutique label films and stuff, but I think people would buy more stuff if you had bonus features on there. So, oh, look at you know in our crowd the stuff, the Arrow stuff, and all that's really you know people are excited for those titles. Yeah, no, I love a good making of documentary or just even oh. even commentary tracks. It seems like Hollywood can't be bothered now. Oh, oh, it's pretty lame. So then it was family movie night or family movie day. I was pushing hard for Frank and Weenie. Uh, I lost. We went to see Hotel Transylvania. As I told you, I didn't really care for this film. It has a few moments. Of course, being monsters, it gets a few points with me. Um, and has that weird thing you and I spoke about, about how monsters and zombies and everything are acceptable for kids now. Yeah, I know. It's so really weird. strange that we're in that age. When we were kids, it was quite the opposite. It was, you know, yeah. flesh munching and brain eating and stuff. And now zombies are friendly and they fight plants. And Yeah, yeah. Zombies have gone mainstream, bro. Yeah, they have vampires. Everything has. Um, but this isn't very good. Sandler does a we- And I'm a bit of a Sandler mark, even though his later stuff is god-awful. Yeah. I-, I don't watch it, but his older stuff I love. But uh, he does this weird Mexican-Romanian accent. <laughs> um, it's, it's really bizarre, you know. A couple moments, but on the whole, if you're going to have your kids see a, an animated halloween movie, I would imagine see Frank and or see... One I can rap for, which is Paranorman. Very good. Nice. Uh, next on the list was Splinter. It was a pretty uh, well-regarded horror film that I hadn't seen from a few years ago. A creature film, if you will. And uh, it's got um, Paulo Costanzo, Canadian actor, uh, who's in Road Trip. And it also has Shea Wiggum. And I got to say, man, this was definitely one of the pleasant surprises of the month for me. Uh, I really, really really like this film yeah yeah that one got a lot of good buzz when it was out uh i think i put it on my netflix queue never got around to it oh you'll dig it man it is fantastic the creature design is fantastic uh it, it is a first-rate horror film. i was starting to get burned out by this point in the month i was like you know I, i'm you know horror is just you know i can't do a month of horror anymore and and i don't mean to be dismissive of the genre we love but when you've seen as much as we have and you know i was trying to watch some new stuff and and a few, few old favorites but it, it really, it really um, uh, spoke to me, man. It's a fucking great film. Uh, then was Storm Morning, an Australian kind of brutal um, backwoods kind of uh, horror film. A couple gets stranded near this um, this farm. Ah, brutal, yeah. brutal group of men. That's another one I'm always meant to watch and I never get around to. Uh, you don't need to get around to it. <laughs> yeah, I just heard it was yeah. like a uh, kind of a revisit of the slasher type thing. Yeah, it's okay. It's got some good brutal stuff, but it's it's pretty lame, some pretty bad character logic. One of the pleasant surprises for me was Nadia Fares, the female lead from The Nest, was the female lead in this. Oh, uh, yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. But she doesn't look as good as she did in The Nest. And your character, I don't know, the whole film's a bit, it's okay. It's okay. Nothing special. Um, then I watched what is probably my favorite animated film of the past five years, Maybe longer, alongside Persepolis, which I highly recommend people watch. It's a tremendous, astounding piece of film. But uh, this film, it should also be watched by everyone, uh, if you have kids or not. And that's Coraline. Um, Henry Selleck's Coraline. It, this is such a beautiful film. Uh, I was worried it might be a tad spooky for my kids, but, man, they ate it up. And, you know, they really loved it. And they wanted to watch it again, like, the next night. So 
Coraline's great if you haven't seen it. Uh, GGTMC favorite Keith David voices a cat in the film. <laughs> a black cat. So Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, then I watched Woman, which was a very divisive film. Lucky McKee. Uh, have you seen this? I haven't watched it, no. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not that great, man. It's 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 one of these films that it feels like it's an important film and it feels like it's it's saying some things, but they're so heavy handed. And yeah. it's very self satisfied, but it's too heavy handed and obvious to be self satisfied. Hmm. In the end I just I rolled my eyes. It's ridiculous. There's an introduction I actually I don't want to spoil it, but you know, it's got a few good things. The the, the central or the titular woman in the film puts in a tremendous performance but otherwise it's it's pretty i don't know it's like five five and a half territory for me and i, I only watched it because a few people in our community really loved it right uh matt mills like it was like his number one or number two film of the year a few years ago so you know figured i'd watch it, it was on instant i might check it out at some point but never have had any interest in it really yeah i didn't either i think you know as you and i spoke myself gotten older it's, it's some of the extreme stuff unless i've heard really good things about the film um Uni- almost university. I, I can't really be bothered anymore. You know, it's like yeah. you and I have seen so much dark shit from, uh, you know, from the Italian cannibal films to <laughs> the Japanese um, yeah. um, uh, pink, uh, guinea pig series. I mean, all that stuff we've seen, and it's like, can't kind of don't really want to watch that stuff anymore. Yeah, I've yeah, been there, done that, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you get a film like Martyrs, which kind of transcends it all. Yeah. Um, you know, I just can't really be bothered anymore. I, 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 I don't think it's, I don't know what it is that doesn't draw me to the film. I do like Lucky McKee. I do like uh, May a lot. And I like May is a good film. Bettis is, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And I just, you know, I just, I do like him. Uh, and it's not the harshness of the film that I'm concerned with. It's just, I don't know. It looks like the tone is not something I'm really interested in. Because it looks like there's a little bit of comedy in there. Or black comedy of some sort and stuff. I don't know. Just doesn't really interest me. But I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sure I'll get around to it at some point. I, I, I would. I wouldn't tell people not to watch it. But right. I, it is a pretty intense film. It just feels like not even just thematically, but it feels like McKee feels just very self satisfied, and it's almost like you know, this looks like a '90s indie rock music video, right. like a '90s. You know what it reminds me of? Like a '90s Everclear video. <laughs> nice. In terms of its aesthetics, we so. can live inside the ocean. Yeah. And I like Everclear for what they are, man. But it just feels like a fucking '90s rock video. So nice. whatever. Um, then I watched one that I thought I'd never muster up the strength to watch because it was supposed to be that, one of my favorite. Adam Sandler's "That's My Boy." <laughs> well, it's probably as well regarded, uh, and that is, of course, Dario Argento's "Giallo." Oh Lord, I didn't know you watched this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also on instant, I did. I did a woman in giallo double. Kissy, kissy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. This film isn't as bad as people are making it out to no, be. No, it's and not. It's it's nowhere near as bad as people make it out to be. And that's and that's what I keep telling people. I keep telling people it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. The only thing you can even make fun of in the film, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is just what I just did. Yeah, because you see, here's the problem I have with it. It's sort of like. Um, the much worse version of John Carpenter's The Ward in that yeah. it's serviceable, but it's very anonymous. Yeah, that's and that, it, it's unlike the, the the director's past work. Yeah, what it, my problem with it is it's it's pretty dull. Yeah, it is, and it's obvious, and yeah, you know, and it, it just feels like a director trying to hang on to something, and 
you know, maybe trying to even revisit something. And it's just, you know, it, it really, I think it just gave me a sense of melancholy more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, like I said, it, it's nowhere near as bad. It's, it's got some stuff. I mean, I, I'd give it like... Uh, it's not even Argento's worst film. No, it's not, man. It's not. Like, I'd give it five and a half, six territory. It's watchable. It's on instant. It's okay. And you know, Brody, who I think, and I hate, I you know Christine's going to hate me for this. I've increasingly had problems with Brody as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to watch that new Predator. Not new. Five years old. That Predator's film with him as a fem- um, female lead. That, that would be more appropriate. <laughs> It would be awesome as, as an action lead because it just he doesn't work for me as that. But you know, it's it's not well acted and it's kind of obvious and it's it's ironically the opposite of his yellow. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the makeup works good. He you know he he does the stunt casting of the dual role. I think he looks a bit like Abel Ferreira with the makeup on. <laughs> he does. <laughs> it would have been awesome if he'd done like an Abel Ferreira because if you've ever listened to Abel Ferreira, he's a very manic dude. Oh, yeah, so totally. It'd been awesome though, if he'd have done an Abel Ferrer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like a mix between Abel Ferrer and uh, was it Mark Knopfler of uh, yeah. Thing? Uh, <laughs> Mark Knopfler. With the headband. <laughs> <laughs> the gypsy headband. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's okay though, man. It wasn't terrible. No offense to Mark Knopfler, but somebody should have smacked that guy when he was wearing that headband. <laughs> oh, God. And his fucking cut off sleeve t shirts. <laughs> That he was pumping iron with the boss or something. Mm. Uh, then I decided to revisit a film I haven't seen in 20, 25 years, that being Ridley Scott's Alien. I have heard of this one, I think. Yeah, it's, you know, words <laughs> been out there. I, I'm building up towards Prometheus when we do our year end. So I've got the, I thought I had the quadrilogy, but I have what's called the Alien Legacy set. Okay. Um, it has its 20th anniversary DVDs. It's got the first four. There's some decent special features specifically on Alien and aliens mm-hmm. um i'll tell you this the reason i mentioned i asked everyone what their top 10 sci-fi films was was because when i watched this uh for the first time in many years it just i was just awestruck of this film i mean production design is astounding the effects are astounding it's one of the best casts put together ever in a genre film i think i mean this is like this is easily a top 10 sci-fi film for me. Probably top five. I mean, it's, it's astounding, man. Right. You know? Yeah. No, uh, I mean, it's my, it's my favorite, uh, Ridley Scott film, my, my personal favorite. I know, but people usually go between this and Blade Runner, but this I is, go, I go Blade Runner, yeah. but this is right behind it. Right. And I'm the other way. Well, no, I'm not the other way around. I was just as infamously as you know, back in the early days, I'm not the biggest Blade Runner fan, but yeah, which is crazy, baby. <laughs> it's crazy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's. I, I mean, I can't say much about Alien that hasn't been said, but it's. Yeah, that was just. I was very happy to revisit it. And I'm going to run through the whole series. I'm excited to watch the Genet and Fincher films, which I've never seen, and to revisit Cameron's film, which is two and a half hours long. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, that's Cameron for you, though. Mm-hmm. Um, rewatched Creep Show, which was you know, which was good. Doesn't quite hold up as well as I'd like it to, but it's it's a favorite. I've seen, I've been watching that film for fuck coming on thirty years. I'm thirty two. We're thirty three this month. So about 25, 28 years I've been watching this film. I even had the comic. Nice. They did a limited run of the comic, and I remember when we used to have, uh, we, used to, we used to go up to a, um, a film that had like a trailer we would go to in the summertime. My dad had one. And uh, they had like a little flea markety type thing where you could go. And I bought the, the Creepshow comic. I wish I still had that thing. It'd be worth a few bucks now. Yeah. But being a child and an idiot, I didn't. Oh, well, i got just three more, and then I'm done. Or two more. So then... It's November. I got away from horror. 
and I watched a film called Fuck. I feel like Doctor Zom this morning, man. Yeah. Uh, what's the movie? Um, yep, yeah, check it out, people. It's good. Jeez, yeah, I watched a lot of stuff, man. That guy watches more. They did an episode two days after their previous one. He still had a longer list than you, I, you or I have on a weekly basis. <laughs> we did this is three weeks. We're done. Yeah, this is like the Zom one week uh, list. Yeah. Um, next, I watched a film that Dave Macklemore and who oh, doesn't mind me using his last name. And Chris Davies Rowan, I'll uh, also use his last name, I guess, because I use Davies. They both repped for really hard. And uh, they were just saying, it's like, it's just the most macho film ever made. You got to see it, blah, blah, blah. They're both going bananas for it. I thought, okay, I got to watch this film. And it's uh, Jack Cardiff's Dark of the Sun. Yes. This fucking film. <laughs> I can't say enough good things about this. I'm smiling as I'm talking about it. Yeah. This might be the most macho film ever put to film. It's pretty GGTMC. I'll tell you, man, we're going to cover this very soon. Yes. It is so fucking amazing. But as you know, I've always, I've always, well, of course, I love Jim Brown. We've talked about Jim Brown before on the show. Mm -hmm. But I love uh, Rod Taylor just as much. And when we talked about the Inglorious Bastards, I was talking about him playing Churchill and how much I love yeah. Rod Taylor and stuff and how I've always felt like he was overlooked. In yeah, his was. time, he was macho. He had a he had a great look, but a lot of people said he made a lot of duds. But as time has gone on, Ron Taylor's kind of gotten this respect that he didn't get before, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of glad about that because his acting can be a bit stiff. But he was kind of like pre Bronson in a weird you way. You know, you know who he reminds me of here in this film because I haven't seen too much Taylor. I've only seen him maybe a handful of Taylor films. When I watch this film, I'm thinking he's like a bit bra a bit of a brawnier version of Mel Gibson. Mm -hmm. In this film, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I can't speak to his other work. Which I believe, this he, is, I believe he's Australian anyway, so yeah. Yeah, so it would make sense. This film's amazing, man. I mean, it's just, oh, fuck, it's so good. Yeah, spoiler so alert, fun. I am a big fan, so. Yeah, I love it, man. Sweaty man. mess. Oh, it's so good. Everyone needs to see this film, man. It's so amazing. I wonder if it's still on Netflix Instant. It was on Netflix Instant. For oh, time. if it is, fuck. Buy it, though, if you can't. Everyone out there, it's worth a buy. I think Warner Archive has the disc, but if it's on Instant. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna check. check. I'll check right now. Okay, you check. Right. Okay, because I got one more title, and I'm finally done the Zom list. Um, my nephew. Um, I decided. You know, he he uh, he, he really likes coming to our house. So, he, I said, "Let you know, why don't you have a sleepover, man? Well, what's your favorite snack?" And he goes, uh, "Chocolate ice cream." I said, "What else?" He goes, "Doritos." I go, "Okay, we got chocolate ice cream and Doritos, and we're gonna watch some kung fu movies." Nice. You know, because whenever the kids come over, they want to look in my movie room because it's you know it's got a lot of movies, so you know it's it's fun for them. So. Um, I was like, what am I going to watch with them? So I was kind of rolling between maybe Last Dragon. Because um, keep in mind, William was going to watch it. So I couldn't get anything too crazy because my nephew's only seven. Um, and then I decided to, to pull out a bunch of the Hong Kong Legends discs I just bought. Like uh, The Prodigal Son, um, Project A, uh, Police Story, and uh, Samuel Hung's, not a Hong Kong Legends disc, but Samuel Hung's Magnificent Butcher. Films that I love that all of them are relatively kid-friendly. So I pulled them all out, and I said, which one do you guys want to watch? And I uh, kind of described each one. And they picked Police Story. I said, gentlemen, you've made a good choice. This is the greatest action film ever made. So we watched it, and it went over amazing, man. Like, it was like, by 15 minutes in the movie, my wife's like, oh, what have you done? Because they're, ju they're jumping up. They're going crazy kung fu kicks. They're sliding on the floor. Um... I mean, they're just going wild. Yeah. You know, they're just absolutely going bananas. And they wouldn't stop. And they just, it went over a big time with them. And by the end of the film, not even, like by halfway through, it's like, okay, I'm Jackie Chan, you're the back. No, I'm Jackie Chan. <laughs> you know, so. 
It's uh, in fact I had to keep wrangling them in, like I, you know the stuff that's just kind of uh, exposition. I didn't really care if they watched. They they were watching it, but they'd get up to do some moves. But uh, then I go, come on guys, guys, come here. You know, and they were really ranged up by the end when the the mall scene. I'm trying to just sit them down to watch the, with the slide down the the lights, mm-hmm. and they loved it, man. So it, it went over really well. It was my son's first Jackie Chan film. Um, a little more gunplay than I'd like him to see at, at this age, but there's it, there's really no nudity. There's no swearing. I think the worst word that's in it is ass. Yeah, um, going to talk about gunplay in kids' movies here in a little bit. Yeah, so th- that's my list. <laughs> for the month it seems okay that's a very good list we're half yeah, an hour into the show already jeez <laughs> oh, we are silver and gold <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so i got a pretty lengthy list not as lengthy as that but a pretty good size list myself a kip winger s list if you will a little nice. lengthy, like the fleshlight <laughs> um let's see here i watched uh i watched a few 30 for 30s in the process well at least three of them because it's been three weeks since we talked about this so I watched uh, There's No Place Like Home. This is about getting the original written names, Naismith uh, basketball rules, the original rules he wrote down on a piece of legal paper mm-hmm. back to Kansas University to, to display in their kind of like, uh, you know, Hall of Fame trophy area. Why Kansas? Uh, well, I, know, I know Kansas has a Well, that's where Naismith is from. He's, he, but but this happened in Ontario though, where where he wrote the rules, right? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. He's, brother, brother, basketball was invented in Canada. You yeah, can look that up. Well, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Either way, Kansas, you know, it's like Kentucky. Kentucky thinks they invented basketball. So. Yeah, no, I'm telling you though, either Naismith was from Ontario or he invented it in Ontario. It's quite possible he did. Yeah. But anyway, so and, good. And get, in, get the original rules. An indoor Kansas. game in Ontario would make sense in the winter, especially. <laughs> Not that Kansas is exactly, you know, a, a tropical paradise in the middle of winter. <laughs> but anyway, that's where they wanted them. And this is, it, it's it's a one filmmaker kind of like on a goal type thing. It, it's interesting. It's not very great, though. I mean, unless you love Kansas basketball, it's not, it doesn't really go into a lot of Naismith or anything like that. So it's, I don't know. It, it was okay. Not great. I watched uh, Source Code. This is one of those ones that eluded me forever, but I just found like, you know, it was on uh, cable and I just had some time and uh, decided to watch it. It's good. It's not uh, It's not great. Um, I, I liked quite a bit. I mean, I, I think Duncan Jones is obviously going to be a filmmaker to watch. I mean, I thought that with Moon. I think, you know, even his Hollywood stuff is going to be interesting. Um, Hall's good in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's her name? Who I find terribly attractive for some reason. I don't know why I do, but I do find her attractive. I can't remember Not her name. Vera Farmiga. Um, well, I find Vera Farmiga attractive too. <laughs> I I don't really, but I like her as an actress. I I thought this was a step backwards for Duncan Jones. I didn't yeah. really I care for it. Too. Well, no, it's it's not comparable to Moon. There's no way. I think Moon is a much better film than this. I mean, like you're talking three or four points higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I did still enjoy the kind of takes he had on stuff and some of the style he used and, mm-hmm. and stuff and it's, it's 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 a little groundhog day but it's it's you know it's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's okay uh i watched a documentary called the strange history of don't ask don't tell which is uh oh. about gays in the military mm-hmm. and uh this movie if you watch this this is one of the best movies i've seen this year i don't know what year it came out but this is definitely one of the movies best movies i saw this year oh. um some of the stuff in here, the rules for being in the military and stuff, some of the stuff I didn't know will blow your fucking mind. Instant? Uh, no, I watched it on HBO On Demand. Fuck. So, I don't know. It'll it'll pop up on there probably pretty soon. 
because uh, it's one of those films that, like, you know, it just seems like it will pop up on instant. So just keep an eye out for it. I will. Um, very, very good. Very, very good stuff. Uh, I, I would say some of the things, but, I mean, I think it's worth it for people to watch because your jaw will hit the floor. And if those of you who have been in the military, blah, 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 you probably know, but uh, some of the reasons you can get into the military and then by being gay, you can basically... I mean, maybe not so much now, but back in the day, you just basically got shunned and kicked out. <laughs> is unfucking believable, unfucking believable. It's not on instant. I looked, but I did see a schizophrenia Nancy McKeon film called Strange Voices. Ooh, nice, nice. That is a strange history. Yeah, and Dark Dark of the Sun is not on instant. Yeah, I know. I checked it too. I meant to say something. I forgot to. It's not on there. Sorry. It was on there at one point, though. I can promise you guys that because that's how I watched it one time. Um, 30 for 30, Benji. Now, this is definitely one of the best documentaries I've seen this year. This is about Benjamin. I can't remember his last name. It may have been Walker or something like that. High school prospect, probably number one player. I think he was the number one player in the country, basketball. Was going to, you know, be a big college star, probably a big pro star and stuff. Um, it's not a spoiler because this is what the documentary is about, but tragically, he ended up getting killed when he was like 17, 18 years old. Oh, Streets of Chicago, um, which I would like to say is changed a lot now but actually chicago is one of the most dangerous cities in the world it just gets more and more dangerous uh-huh. i think it might be leading the country in murder right now um it's a it's it's a very 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 good movie very very good movie it's a 30 for 30 check it out if you guys can get a chance to see it very very fucking good highly recommended for me uh james mccormick i know rep for it big time and i watched it and he was correct amundo nice i can't wait to see that one yeah very good I think I got one coming out pretty soon called You Don't Know Bo, which is all about Bo Jackson. Can't oh, wait to see I can't that. wait for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's the Jim Brown. I don't know why the guy never got into movies, man. Yeah, I think he was a lot stiffer than Brown because Brown yeah. has a great uh, film list. I mean, yeah. Yeah. working with just a ton of great filmmakers. But um, yes, Bo was a little stiffer. But <laughs> as far as what you would think Bo could translate to off the field, totally good, great comparison. Yeah, He's a strong, silent type, maybe. Yeah, I'm just surprised he nice. didn't do anything. But I'm kind of interested to see it because, I mean, let's be honest. Bo, after his uh, hip injury, he's, you know, he kind of made a comeback in that. But after that, he kind of disappeared. He's a bit of an angry um, private type. I yep. know that from a few interviews I've seen because I'm a huge Roy Jackson fan. But mm-hmm. you know, he's he's a bit of an angry private type who who doesn't mind speaking his mind on things, and <laughs> it's not always a popular opinion. Yes. <laughs> so and he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> He's like uh, the, he's like Bo, the honey, honey badger. Yeah, Bo doesn't know diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched uh, Sherlock Holmes: A Game of Shadows, which was entertaining. Uh, you know what the Sherlock and I said, said this to you off the air when we talked on the phone. <clears throat> Excuse me, the uh, Sherlock Holmes film. They f- they feel like like to me like these two films. They're not as good, but they feel like like the Lethal Weapon films or something mm-hmm. set in a different era because. What I like about them the most is Jude Law and Robert Downey Jr. together. The bromance. Yeah, the bromance is outstanding. What I don't care for them as much is they're very bloated and a little silly. But, I mean, they're okay. They're good films. They're uh, This one's not as good as the first one, but it is still pretty good. And, uh, yeah, I had fun with it. It was it was, it was was fun, as I would say. Check it out. <laughs> Can't wait to check it out because I do like uh, them together, as I'd said to you. Yeah, no, me and you are both, uh, me and you are both hardcore marks for uh, Jude Law anyway. Oh, we, yeah. We both love Jude, so I think he's uh, one of those great actors who kind of gets overlooked because of his, uh, can sometimes, his sometimes good looks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I watched uh, Paul Williams, Still Alive. 
this is a documentary about Paul Williams, and uh, I don't want to give away too much about this because it's kind of kind of the nice thing about the film is the reason why Paul Williams kind of disappeared. I mean, people a lot of people thought he was dead, and uh, it's kind of yeah. it's kind of interesting the disappearance of Paul Williams and stuff, and kind of the story behind all that. Um, a lot of people know that he had drug and alcohol problems and and things, but uh, there's still some very interesting things about the film. It's not great. I think it might end up on my top 30 because I love Paul Williams so much. Um, but it is interesting to hear about his life and why he wrote so many melancholy songs and, and you know, why his songs appeal to people still to this day. And uh, it's just that some of that stuff's really interesting. And I wish they would have gotten more into that. But Paul's, it seems to me like Paul's still pretty private. He doesn't really want a lot of things to be talked about. Like his mom, he doesn't go into any detail. He starts talking about his mom, and he decides, fuck it, I'm not talking about that. Oh, wow. So there's some things he just doesn't want to talk about. So, well, you know, and, you know, much respect to him. Whatever he doesn't want to talk about, that's his call. So, absolutely. I mean, obviously, as a nosy person who watches films, I, you know, doesn't know Paul, I would like to know, but I, I respect it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I then watched a film that is very divisive amongst our community and everybody else, it seems, called Detention. Which is is a Joseph Kahn film. The guy that directed Torque, the uh, infamous oh. <laughs> Torque. Uh, he's a music video director. Now, Detention is essentially Scott Pilgrim, but nastier. Uh, oh. Which which is saying a lot, uh, because Scott Pilgrim's got some pretty harsh kind of opinions on things sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes some ugliness with the characters. But this is like that amped up to like ten. <laughs> oh, wow. Everybody's super negative. It's a slasher. Slash time travel movie slash I don't know what else it's 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 a bizarre orgasmic dream of a movie that it seems like Joseph Kahn got to make and he just threw everything at it and I put on like my letterbox thing that I think I liked it but as time has gone on like four or five days I don't think I liked it I like it maybe a little bit more than Scott Pilgrim, but then as I start to think about it more and more, I think I feel about it the same way I do with Scott Pilgrim. And 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 people, I you know, I joked around about how much I didn't like Scott Pilgrim, but in reality, I, you know, Scott Pilgrim was more like a four or five film for me. It's not it's not like it was a one or a two. Um, it wasn't that bad uh, for for me. Uh, and who gives it a lot of ones and twos? Who? Zom. Scott Pilgrim. No Zom. Oh. Just in general, he gives some ones and twos to some good films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poor Love feels heartbroken when he does too. But yeah, anyway. yeah, I know, I know. He gives a he gave a one. <laughs> I think he gave a two to uh, one of those post apocalyptic films. It was yeah, he did, man. Not a two, no way, dude. No way, uh, man. <laughs> but detention is interesting. It's it, now the reason why I watched it is because Rupert loves it. It's one of his favorite films of the year. Um, I can see that. I can see where just like Scott Pilgrim, this will be some people's favorite film of the year. They'll love all this going back to the 90s nostalgia. They'll love all this, you know, especially if you're a 90s kid, you might like it a lot because it goes back to the 90s hardcore. And everything 90s is pretty funny. Instant? Uh, no, no, no. It was, it, was a, it was a Blu-ray rental from Netflix. Okay. How's the blue look? Oh, it looks good. It's a newer film, so it looks it looks fantastic. So, But um, it's... It, it, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the film. And more and more I get removed from it, I still don't know how I feel about the film. So, whatever. But, you know... It is interesting to see either, either and you know, I'm going to revisit Scott Pilgrim in years, and, and once some of the hype died down and everything else, you know, I'm going to revisit that and see if I have a different opinion of it later on. But I think Scott Pilgrim, for me, because I'm 38 when I saw it, 37, 38, 39 years old, for me, it didn't work for some reason, and I think it might have to do with my age, and I feel like this is the same way. 
Like, I feel like if I was 28 or maybe something like that, I may, maybe I've liked it more. I don't know. It's a weird thing, but some, I do it's believe a, age has something to do with film liking sometimes. It totally does. Yep. Yeah, that's Pilgrim, as everyone knows, was my, I think, number two film the year it came out. Mm-hmm. That was one that we've, that might be the film that we're kind of most divided on. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe. 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 Oh. Or Blade Runner. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Blade Runner. Blade Runner might be because I, I guarantee you, you rank Blade Runner a lot higher than I do. It's nine point five territory for me. Oh man, it what might get to five point five. It might get to six. Ooh, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I haven't watched it again in a long time, and it, 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 it's you know. Well, anyway, let's not talk. We'll, we'll talk about it someday, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll cover it. Not like any podcast has never covered Blade Runner before. <laughs> Ooh, I don't even know if we're going to have time for feedback today. Um, I watched another 30 for 30, Ghost of Old Miss. This is uh, about segregation in Mississippi. 1960, I can't remember the year, 62, maybe 63. Uh, very interesting. It's about an hour long. Not very well made. Don't really care for the way it was made, but there's a great, great story here. Uh, I just don't think that it's only an hour long, so I don't think it was really kind of captured as much as it could have been. There's mm-hmm. much more material when it comes to segregation and America's history and and uh, all that stuff. Because th- what it is is it kind of plays on the dichotomy of that was the year that Ole Miss may have had their greatest football season in college football history ever. Mm-hmm. But it was also the year when they had some of their worst publicity because of segregation. They had allowed they had the president had to come in and forcefully allow a African American student. They had to bring the military in and everything to get the student enrolled in the in the school. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So just think, just think about that for a second, people. We had to use our military to get an African American student enrolled in a school. I just want people to think about that just for a second, and that it was only forty, fifty years ago. Yeah, it was in our parents' lifetime. Yeah, blows your mind. <laughs> just yeah, uh, it does, man. Oh, just trust me. Um, and the further I get removed from it, the more my mind is blown. Yeah, I agree, man. It's like I've I've often said to people about a lot of the gay rights issues today, and it's going to be comparable to that in twenty thirty. People are going to go, "Really, Dad?" Like my parents, my kids are going to go, "Really, Dad?" Like yeah. you were around when that bullshit happened. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's just uh, you just sometimes wonder. Sometimes you know we are such a great. You know, I watch a lot of Doctor Who, and and Doctor Who loves humanity because it does so many great things and everything else. We are such a great creation, and whether you're religious or not, blah blah blah, whatever. Humanity is such a great creation, but that we can't get past something like homosexuality. Ugh, Ugh. Come on, man. Seriously. I jerk yeah, off. Makes, I jerk off more than that. Yeah. <laughs> makes me sad for humanity. Yeah, humanity, yeah. yeah oh, that was, good. that was good. I like that. It was nice. Nice, <laughs> nice touch. Nice touch. Speaking of jerking off, that was like, nice like, touch. He'll call you the ice man. That, like, that finger roll had a nice touch at the end of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get my, uh, my Nets jersey on, yo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, uh, hang on, uh, Iceman uh, Gervin. Yeah, Gervin. Yeah, George, yeah. I'm making you know I was mixing him up with was. Uh, hang on, Gervin was Nets or Spurs? Uh, I think he was Spurs. I think. Who was I thinking of for the Nets? I know Irving, but there's another. I don't know. Now it's not the time for ABA history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but if anybody has never seen the George Gervin finger roll, look it up. It's insane. Oh, yeah, it's, it is pretty to watch. <laughs> it is. Um, I want. Then I watched a film that was. Uh, very, very slow, uh, A Dangerous Method, the David Cronenberg film. Now, this was a film I wasn't really interested in seeing, but it was on. Uh, I had time. It's another one of those situations. I love Viggo Mortensen. I love uh, Michael Fassbender. I love Vincent Cassell, who I didn't even know was in the film. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. I don't love Keira Knightley. I like her. I don't love her. 
uh man i really didn't like her in like the first 15 minutes of this film I almost stopped watching <laughs> it because she's really going for it oh, man. um she, her performance changes as the film goes along but so it gets better but this film this film has good performances but this film is boring that's what the problem with this film is it's got to be if you're saying that because you're a patient watcher. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, it's just boring. It's just, it's stiff. Now the scenes between Mortensen and Fassbender are fucking great. I don't care about how boring they might seem or whatever, and whatnot. The conversations they have, Freud and Jung, are mm-hmm. are great. Uh, the scenes between Fassbender and Cassell are really, really good too. Who's Cassell in it? Uh, I can't remember what he, who he is, uh, but he's just this guy who likes to fuck things. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of, in my opinion, kind of seems like that's what Cassell's like anyway. But <laughs> it's a it's a it's a dialed back version of his character in Shaitan. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he he, they're all really good in the film. Um, it's just the film doesn't really. I mean, it just it, it doesn't really. I don't know. It doesn't. It just doesn't work for some reason. It's really a shame because you know I love David Cronenberg and I love all these actors. And I thought even if it was boring, I could still find something to pull out of it. What I can pull out of it is Viggo Mortensen. Should have gotten nominated, I think, for an Oscar or some sort of something, because he is so fucking good in this movie. He is really, really good. He's really bringing his English accent, and maybe I'm being an American here, but it is fucking this. It's spot on. How he good it can is. do very. He can do accents well. He's been in a few Spanish language films mm-hmm. in Spain, and he's pulled it off pretty well. Yeah. Um, he's he's definitely one of the best actors of our time, and he's one guy that I almost watch everything, or at least keep it on my radar. Everything he does, right? No, he's really really fucking good in the movie. But yeah, that's the thing. If you want to watch good performances, I'd say watch it. Uh, Story wise, I don't feel like you're going to get anything from it. So it's a weird film. It's it's a weird uh-huh. one. So I don't know. Weird for Cronenberg too. It is. It is. Although once they start talking about what they talk about, sexual deviancy mm. and things like that, and yeah. and the you know the some body stuff, it's still Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> still Cronenberg moments in the film. I then watched the Michael Bean directed The Victim, uh, starring Michael Bean and his wife and uh, Daniel Harris. Uh, this is a low budget kind of grindhouse thing. Um, good idea. Uh, not a bad film for what, if you consider what amount of money he had. And Michael Bean's a first-time filmmaker, um, but overall, kind of a <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> just didn't really work for me. Uh, Michael Bean's one of these guys. He's so earnest in interviews sometimes and everything that I just I kind of think he's kind of a dork sometimes. Yeah, he's a little too serious for me. Yeah, uh, the guy needs to lighten up a little bit. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, just take it, just take a chill pill, Mike. You know, chill out a little <laughs> bit, buddy. A little too serious. But uh, he's like, uh, he's like the aggressive Sean Penn. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Whereas nice. Sean Penn can sometimes be aggressive. He's mostly a pacifist. Michael Michael Bean seems like the aggressive version of Sean Penn. That's crazy. And not nearly as good an actor. But I was just gonna say, I love Bean, but uh, he ain't no Penn. <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, there's some interesting stuff in here. Um, and again, there's a good story here. Uh. But it's a first-time director, so I think it just kind of falls on its face a little bit. So, shame. It's, you know, interesting, but a lot of filler. A lot of moments in the film. It's only 80-something minutes long. A lot of moments where cars are driving, and it's like, uh, dude, <laughs> please cut it. A long, unnecessary intro. Uh, just, just, you know, first-time filmmaker type stuff. Yeah. You know, so, whatever. Good try, though. Um, and then finally, uh, I watched outside the film for the show. Obviously, I watched uh, Wreck It Ralph, which I saw last night Ooh. with my son at the movie theater. Now, 
I've never taken my son to the movies before, so the first time you go, as you know, it's always a roll of the dice. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know yeah. if, if it's going to be one of those situations where you're not watching a movie because your son's running up and down the aisles. Uh, you don't know if you're going to be those parents that everybody yeah. else hates in the theater. Uh, you don't know if your son's going to talk to the movie the whole time because he talks to movies at home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't know what you're going to get. Well, my son, just like me, once the movie starts, he doesn't move. Nice. He watches the whole freaking thing. And my wife was a little concerned afterwards because of all the gunplay in the film. Mm-hmm. Now, the gunplay is all video game based, like a Halo type thing or like a Call of Duty type thing. And they're shooting big insects. So um, there's that. But it is pretty aggressive as, you know, that's what the nature of children is like nowadays. So my wife was a little concerned about that. Maybe it's a little too old for him. That's probably the case. He was interested in it. You know, and after the movie, you know, he's in the car going, I'm going to wreck it. You know, which we mean him, me and him said all night long last night. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> so we had fun with that. But he did like the movie. Well, you know, for a two-year-old, he said he liked the movie. And he, he did like the experience is what I was more concerned with. I yeah. was worried, you know, did you enjoy yourself? You know, is what I kept asking. Did you have fun? And he said, kept saying, yeah. So I don't really know if he really liked the movie or not because it's kind of hard to discern from a two-year-old if they like a film. <laughs> but I do know that he enjoyed the experience, which is a positive because, you know, that means obviously I'll be able to take him to other films. So. Yeah, oh, that's great, man. I'm so happy because, like you said, it is such a concern when they're the first one. It's like, oh man, this could really melt down quick. And, <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, you know, it's you know, down here. You know, we didn't have to pay for him, so I, roughly the whole price of the whole shebang with food because you got to buy food for a kid. Kids got to have food. I, me, I don't. I don't bear buy anything in movie theater because I look at the price and I'm like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still something that makes my blood boil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, between everything and tickets, it like it was like. 25 bucks for the whole deal not bad man so i was like well if i'm out money i'm out 25 bucks that's what, what i would have spent probably going out to eat and that's mm-hmm. disposable right because you eat it you have a good time but then you shit it all out so it's not like <laughs> it's something you can retain for a long time so I, I figured it like that and i figured if i have to leave i have to leave you know mm-hmm. it's one of those things you know? you're gonna have to it's you're gonna have to dive in there at some point so yeah so whatever but no it ended up being a good time and the movie's good the movie's uh if you're a video gamer like me, the movie's probably better. Uh, if you're not a big gamer, uh, but there's a lot of nostalgia for gaming, so even if you're not a big gamer now, you might still enjoy the the kind of callbacks to old video games. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun Ooh, movie. It's, what studio made the film? It's a Disney film. It is a Disney film. Yeah, yeah it's a Disney film. I gotta say, I'd seen the you know some of the ads for it, and the the promotional stuff for it. One thing that grates on me though is Sarah Silverman's voice in it. Yeah, that 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 will grate on you for it gets better. Does it? Yeah, it kind of starts out as one thing and then it kind of uh, evolves, which is kind of strange. But that's her that's her baby voice. I remember she used to do that in her stand up all the time. I don't know if she does it anymore. But I hate I hate when people do baby voices. Even baby Leno. Uh, well, baby Leno is probably the only one I like, but I hate baby voices so much. Like my wife does it sometimes if she wants to. I mean, I really hate it. Oh, I don't like baby voices either. Oh God, I really I want to. I, I it's going to be wreck it, Willie time. I but, hate but baby I, voices. I'll go one step further though. I don't like any, like I don't like any voices when it comes to oh, most things. I just don't like voices. Awful. That's awful. And then I meet people sometimes who love voices in films, and they'll and I find out they like a certain film. I'm like, why do they like it? And then I watch it, and I'm like, oh, the characters are doing voices. <laughs> oh. I just don't like voices. I'd rather people just talk, but that's me. But yeah, she's not, I, she's she's only doing it slightly. It's not the exaggerated version she does. It is in the beginning, but as it goes along, it it kind of evolves a little bit. And she is playing a kid, so it kind of gets better. 
Oh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know the boys. Teresa really wanted us to take the boys. Just that I'm glad. I'm glad it went as well for you guys. Yeah, as it did for you and I. It's like your your hearts and your throat. Like, oh my God, is this going to work? I hope so. Please that it work for him like it works for me. And yeah, you know, John C. Riley is really, really good in it, though. I mean, it, his voice performance is really, really great, man. <laughs> that's good. And he just—it's it, one of those situations where the voice just really fits the character. Yeah, you know, no, sometimes you just you see that and it just really fits for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I'd heard when I'd heard it was him because I didn't know it was him until I heard something on the radio earlier this week, and I was like, okay, good. His voice would seem to work with that. So. Yeah, I got a new favorite insult to use in the house, and that's uh, uh, for fun, and that's Princess Fart Feathers. So, <laughs> never heard that one before, so that was, that was nice. new for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love whenever I get a new insult to use that's you know oh, yeah. slightly inappropriate, but not inappropriate enough that I can't use it. That's right. No, that's what I say to the boy. Is mommy Princess Fart Feathers? Go call mommy Princess Fart Yeah, she's feathers. a little grumpy today. Have a go see if Princess Fart Feathers would like to go eat breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then I get the Rick. Don't tell him yeah. Fart Feathers. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with Fart Feathers? Yeah, exactly. Man. It's not like he's calling you fuck face. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. All right. So that's everything I watched. We're going to try to take a break. And we're going to try to re- review a film and get some feedback in. I have to be done at 7 because I have to take a dog to the groomer at 8 o'clock this morning. And the groomer's a little bit further away. So if we have no time for feedback, we apologize. We'll, we are going to do two feedback shows this month. So it might mm-hmm. just be one of these ones where we do one film because we just did an hour on what we've been watching. So That is Silver and Gold Ask. <laughs> yeah, it is. If I had more time, I'd record five hours a week. You guys know this. Yes. All right. So we'll take a short break. Come back with our review of Walker from 87. Be back right for this. During this podcast, I've seen a lot of changing in the way you feel about me and in the way I feel about you. In here, there is only one answer to the game to be, but I guess that's better than 20 million. I guess what I'm trying to say is if I can record and you can listen, everybody can be entertained. Your way Action Attraction, your home for all things action. To find out more, visit MetalMikey.Lipson.com or search for Action Attraction in iTunes.
I can just sense the cocaine I'm sniffing off somebody's ass crack listening to that track right there, man. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Yeah, that was one of the best ones that uh, Greg has sent us right there. I love that one a bunch. So, so GGTMC, I can smell the sweat and the coke and the <laughs> and the sexually transmitted diseases being moved around there in Whorehound. <laughs> Take my white pants off and dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you have to. You'll stain them with sweat otherwise. Yeah. They'll be, uh, they'll be in a sort of a yellow color. <laughs> like they've been sitting in a smoke-filled room for about five or six years. Um, okay. Um, do you have uh, the plot synopsis ready and everything, or do you need me to do it? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. No, I'll... I can do it. I brought it up on my phone. Let's, see, let's hear it. Um, so Walker, 1987, uh, an unconventional, directed by Alex Cox, it should be said. Mm -hmm. uh, this is our first Cox film, I believe, on the show. Um, yep. We've talked about Cox a lot. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, of the CKS and the X variety. Yes. <clears throat> so. And uh, Cox is very much, he's probably come up a lot in our spaghetti conversation because he's, yeah. he's to spaghetti westerns what, uh, you know, Tarantino was to sort of drive in fair, I guess. I just or, had a flashback of that photo uh, of an uh, erect cock with a spaghetti all over it from Silver and Gold back in the day. Oh, nice. Yeah, good point. <laughs> That'd be apropos. Um, uh, this is a, as they say, uh, an IMDb, an unconventional retelling of the life of William Walker, a 19th century American mercenary leader who became the president of Nicaragua. This is, uh, as we said, our Boulevard Movies pick. It was from October, but this scheduling we're doing back to back this month, uh, directed by Alex Cox and written by Rudy Wurlitzer. So, yeah, yeah. um, I picked this because truth be told, Good friend of the show, Coop, of End Shows from the Skeleton Closet podcast fame, uh, on an episode that they let me program. I programmed Z and Jacob Tutu meets the Hooded Fang, the original one with Alex Karras. Nice. Um, Mike mentioned seeing it uh, in his What Have You Been Watching segment, and he said it was, I think, his favorite film of the year so far that he'd seen for the first time. Mm -hmm. I'd always meant to see it. So right away I thought, fuck it, we're going to do it on the show. So uh, this is the Criterion Disc. Um, I don't know if you'd seen it before, but um, let's hear what you thought. I had seen Walker before. It was on uh, Netflix Instant Watch for a long time. And uh, I think Zom was pushing it on people, it seems like, uh, back in the oh, early yeah. Silver and Gold I, This days. is a Zom film for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had seen it before, So, but I'd only seen it once before. So it was kind of neat to revisit uh, this film. Um. Yeah, like we said, Alex Cox, uh, we are big fans of his. Maybe sometimes not so much for his film output, if if not for his uh, love of cinema. He's a huge, yes. uh, maybe one of those, uh, uh, well, I guess you'd call him an expert on spaghetti westerns. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he's just a film buff in general. Oh, yeah. And one of our British listeners, sorry, have come to see a lot of great films through a show he did on British TV back in, I think, the 80s and 90s. Yeah, so he's like one of the... He was like almost like Tarantino before Tarantino. Maybe that mm -hmm. might be a way to put it. Great way uh, to put it. So he's a lot like that. Um, now Walker comes after he's already made a bit of a splash. He made a bit of a splash with uh, Sid and Nancy and uh, Straight to Hell, sorta, but definitely Repo Man. And some of these films, he you know these were all back to back to back. I think Repo Man, Sid and Nancy, and Straight to Hell, and then I believe Walker was next. Yeah, it was. I was remember. Yeah. So he had made a splash. Well, Walker was the film that hurt him. It was the film that oh, kind of yeah. derailed his career. <laughs> it did, because from what I remember, it was the the last film where he was given a decent amount of studio money mm -hmm. 
And when they saw what he did, it was like, you'll never work in this town again. We Yeah, we say a lot of times that this film was a bomb, but here, this film was budgeted at about $5.8 million, they say, and only made about 257000 so yeah, it was a, it was a uh, turd in the punch bowl, so to speak, <laughs> upon arrival. Once you see the film, yeah. you can kind of see why. In some ways, oh, yeah. this is this is not an easy film. Uh, this is a cult no. film. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it it deals with some some serious issues and some and some serious political commentary, but in a unique way and a very Alex Cox way. And because of that, I think it makes the film difficult for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll flat out say right here off the hop, I don't love this film, Nor but do I. I do respect this film, uh, but mm-hmm. mostly it's because I believe, uh, this is kind of a tour de force moment for Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. He's really, really good in the film and some of the other acting is really, really good in the film, but this film is, is such a mix of tone and, oh, yeah. and this bizarre choices that it's really hard to take it seriously sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's it, it's frustrating sometimes. So, Agreed. But, but uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the cast. Uh, Ed Harris, as I said, he's, he's really, really good in the film. It, arguably, the one thing you can say about the film that works completely is Ed Harris, I think. Agreed. Uh, he's really this megalomaniac character that uh, it really works. <laughs> he, he's got this look in his eye and everything, and... And, you know, Ed Harris is an intense dude, you know. He's like he's another one of those guys like Michael Bean, though, I think sometimes just needs to chill out. <laughs> so. yeah, he is very fucking intense. He is one of my favorite actors, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, no I he's, he's, he's great. On, he, he missed the great era. He is definitely the like these 60s, 70s actors we talk about. He missed that great oh, yeah. era. It's uh, a shame, yeah, because he would have been just kingpin, man. Yeah, yeah. He'd have been a great spaghetti western actor and all these things. Tough guy, seventies cop yeah. film, Euro crime. Oh man, so many good stuff, so much good stuff. But he's just one of those type of actors. It also has uh, Rene Ab- Abenjois. Abenjois, is that how you say his name? Abenjois, uh, yeah. Abenjois. <laughs> uh, Richard <laughs> Masur, surprisingly, is American. Yeah, or, actually, Rich- no, he's a he's he's a Swedish or something in the film. No, no, he's American. He was born in the states. Oh, oh, okay. You're talking about his real life. I'm talking about in the film. He's Swedish or something. Oh, yeah. He, people would people he almost probably does know a, him from the Oscar nominated film last year, Albert Nobbs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or you played, or you played Odo. Yes, that's the only chance I'm going to get to make a Rene Aubergenois joke on the show. Yeah. So. He's actually been in a lot of good films, but he does he got known for his Odo performance in Deep Space Nine. Um, he, uh, yeah, for some weird reason, he's does the like the Swedish chef voice in this. Sometimes it's pretty funny. Yeah. It's like organ florgen schlorgen. Uh, you got Cy Richardson who worked with uh, uh, Cox quite a bit. Uh, the director, not the the uh, activity. Uh, Xander Berkeley's in here. John Deal coming back to the show yeah. after Joysticks. <laughs> so. After yeah, exactly. Just a few weeks later. Yeah. You you mentioned Richard Masur, right? Yeah, Richard Masur's in it. Uh, Dick Masur, as I like to call him in the business. Peter He's Boyle. Yeah, Peter, Peter Boyle. Boyle. Marley He's Madeline. He's in the film actually. Yeah. As, as uh, Vanderbilt, Cornelius Vanderbilt. Yeah, he's in the film very little, a little too little for me, but it, it's it's okay. He's, he's good in every scene. This movie's got great sideburns. It should be said. Let me get that out. Oh, of there, a right lot now. of great sideburns. Uh, Afonso Arau's in the film. He's a director and actor. Uh, also, Garrett Graham coming back to the show after Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> yeah, I know. A long time coming between episodes for Garrett. Yeah, and uh, there's some other actors in here as well. Uh, one that uh, Mexican American actor, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He works with Alex Cox all the time. And Joe Strummer's in here briefly. Oh, Miguel Sandoval. If you guys don't know who Miguel Sandoval is, just look him up. You'll know who he is. He's been in a million films. Mm-hmm. As as uh, Miles would say, he's been in a million stuff. 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, so he's in everything from Jurassic Park to, uh, you name it. He's been in just about everything. Richard Edson. He's a character actor. I promise you, even I didn't know his name. You know his face, though. He's been in so many things. Yeah, and he's got a unique delivery, the way he talks. Yeah, and he looks, it's weird because his name is Richard Edson, but he looks very much like he's Puerto Rican or, yeah. or something. Maybe, I don't know if it's a stage name he's used, but, you know, he did a lot of New York films, too, yeah. being a New York guy. and Jim Jarmusch guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, I quite like him. It was nice to see him pop up. I don't really want to be the drummer guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's in a lot of films, everything from Platoon to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, he's in everything. Do the Right Thing. Yeah, he's in a ton of films. Yeah, he's great in Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, this movie was a bomb, and uh, I don't know if it really deserved to be that big of a bomb. Uh, it is, like I say, a difficult film. Edward Harris definitely uh, goes method through the film. I know I read behind the scenes that he actually, uh, him and his group actually uh, walked the 10 miles to into the area they were supposed to do so, you know, he could get into character. So uh, he decided to go pretty method on this one. <laughs> oh, wow. A little Herzogian type influence there. Uh, but let me just say, the influence of Peck and Paul is pretty evident pretty quick. Oh, God, it is so <laughs> evident. Yeah, it's, it's, and this is, I know Straight to Hell is a little bit of a Western, but this, this to me feels like the film he kind of wanted to make for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the spaghetti type stuff, because some of my favorite bits about this film are the spaghetti-esque uh, Western moments. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is so, so much Peck and Paul, so immediately, um, every shootout in the film feels like the wild bunch from the slow-mo to the squibs um in an almost ironic way and even to the point where he casts mapache one of mapache's right hand men alfonso rao yeah yeah yeah. right and another thing when walker and his men are on horseback just inside the bottom left hand corner of the frame we see a um a cross like a burial like a cemetery like a stone not a stone a cross for someone's gravesite, and it's sam peckinpah's yes it's right there. That was my next note. Nice. Yeah. You read my mind, bro. But I bet you read my mind on this one, too. How about that pimp hat Walker's wearing in the beginning, man? Well, I haven't seen too many men wear fur cowboy hats in films. <laughs> yeah. And it remains subtle. But somehow Ed Harris's does. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> thought he was going to start stripping for dollar bills. Like you said, I've got a lot of singles handy, ladies. <laughs> That's right. Oh, the man. pumpkin was one of the most disturbing <laughs> things I've ever seen. Because yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it looked like a real asshole, man. Yeah. In some weird way. <laughs> a little more dry. Need a little cream on that. My favorite <laughs> my favorite response to that was Randy's. He just said, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is the best way you could put that. Oh, oh did you shit. mention Marley Matlin was in this? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. Okay. I've always had a thing for Marley Matlin. I always thought she's kind of hot. I don't know if that's weird or what that is, but it's not because she's deaf, by the way. It's because she, uh, I just think she's attractive for some reason. I don't yeah, know. She's an attractive woman. Oh, I always like, kind of liked her. Um, tone. Let me talk about tone. Uh, this film is is scored by Joe Strummer. And while I enjoy the music that Joe Strummer puts into this, and I think it works better toward the back end than it does anywhere else, man, some of the music in this film really takes me out of this film every time I watch it. I completely agree with you. I'll tell you right now. It's almost, it almost problems. sounds like a City Slicker soundtrack or some it's shit. Very, yeah, it, it's trying to be um, it's like, ironic. It's trying to be ironic, but it's just dated. And I'll tell you something, and I'm, I'm going to catch some shit from some people for saying this. I don't care. It's how I feel. Um, 
I, I respect Cox for his love of film. Yeah. And I respect Cox for his filmography and making what he wants to make with film. One of the big problems I have with Cox is I always feel like his films are far too self-satisfied yeah. for their own good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always get that sense from him, whether it's Repo Man or this or uh, Straight to Hell. Um, they're just they just feel too much like you know a little. I don't want to say vanity projects, but just very self-satisfied. And it's like the tone throughout this is just. It, yeah, yeah, okay, we, we get what you're doing, what you're lampooning here, which was commentary on America and, and America's foreign policy, you know, the stuff with Manifest Destiny, which which really is the, the crux of this whole film. Um, but I just feel like it's a little too self-congratulatory and self-satisfied, um, which is always my, my feeling with his films. Yeah, the only film of his where I've ever felt like his tone and his... He's kind of removed from his project for me is Sid and Nancy. Nancy. Totally. Where it's the only one where I feel like from frame one to frame end is is a is a completely thorough film. I like Repo Man, but I like it because it's a cult film and it's odd. I don't like it because it's a good film because I don't think Repo Man is a great film. I completely agree with you. And again, we're going to get some people that are yeah. going to be upset with that. And I own Repo Man. I like yeah. Repo Man. Yeah. I would probably buy the blue if it was cheap enough yeah. for the same reasons you would. But I just feel like to me, it's nowhere near a great film. No, it's a great time capsule of a mm-hmm. film, and it's very interesting, but it's a mess. Come on, guys. It's it's yeah. you know if you look at it critically, it's a mess. If you like and it, that's tone, great. Tonally, but I, too. Again, tonally. The problem always is his films is the tone. He doesn't pay enough attention to maybe... His films suffer from um, him wanting to put his voice, which is you know a bit sarcastic, a bit kind of... Um, lampooning and stuff uh, in his films as, and that's to the detriment of the film itself sometimes because yeah. there could have been I mean a masterwork film in here with this story and this cast yeah well I think another filmmaker could have made a master film with this because it's mm-hmm. a very much a centered a character piece it deals with some serious subjects I don't mean that the film has to be serious uh, it, could have, it could have been a comedy and still handled a lot of this stuff but the problem with this film is it doesn't know what it wants to be it doesn't know if it wants to be a comedy. It doesn't know if it wants to be a social commentary. It doesn't know if it wants to be a spaghetti western. And what it ends up being is all these things. And it ends up being a mess. It works sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't work at all. And mm-hmm. then sometimes, sadly, most of the way through the film, in my opinion, it just kind of, it's just there. It doesn't really work or don't work. It just kind of like, eh, well, you know, whatever. Like a lot of Cox's stuff, in my opinion. And, and obviously, I agree. Um, the Marley Matlin, uh, there's some, there's a scene involving her and, uh, Ed Harris, which is either, it's either genius acting or cage level overacting. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, man, he really goes for it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't really like the narration in the film either. I find as I get older, I don't like narration as much. I, I don't know what that is with me, but I, I feel yeah. like sometimes I feel like it works. Like, I feel like the height of narration was maybe like Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel like there was a lot of backstory there, and he had to get through it. But sometimes narration just doesn't really work for me, and this this one it just really takes me out. And this also, narration be- worked for me, but I could totally see it not working. Yeah, because Ed Harris refers to himself in the third person too. It bothers me, which he does in the film a lot as yeah. well. Walker. Not in only in narrative, yeah. but in yeah, Walker yeah. doesn't like that. Yeah, <laughs> he's the first NFL superstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the score is the one that like the biggest problem. And again, I like pieces of the score because I think by the end of the film, Joe Strummer knows what Cox is going for, but it almost feels like Cox knows what he's going for at the end of the film too. Because now it starts to feel epic, it starts to feel big, it starts to feel 
like it should have been scored all along. Whereas yeah. in the beginning, it's like, uh, and I know that Strummer wrote the score while he was there working with Cox. So I feel like Cox is complicit in this too. Uh, agreed, absolutely. And I would also, I like the theme yeah. for this. And I also like the music at the back end. You know who could have scored this, who should have scored this film? Mm-hmm. Ry Cooter. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. That would have been good. Um, I think I like the location work probably the most in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the location looks great. They shot it down the South America. It, that works. All of that stuff works. I don't feel like there's enough of the quote-unquote immortals. Yeah, I agree. The uh, the people that hang out with Walker. I think that's the biggest problem with this film, too, outside of the tone, is that you get Rene Abinjunois with his au sauce and his roast beef sandwiches, <laughs> and uh, you get Cy Richardson, who's really great in the film. He is really good. He puts in maybe, other than Ed Harris, the best performance in the film. Yeah, outside of Ed Harris and Peter Boyle, I agree. He's, yes. He puts in the best performance, yeah. But you get you know these characters that are part of his immortals, basically his gang, and uh, even Gary Graham and the other guy that plays his brother, which the other guy, by the way, looks just, he, he could be Ed Harris's brother. I've seen that actor in some other stuff. William O'Leary. I've seen him in other stuff. And he, he, he could be Ed Harris's brother. He really could because he looks just like him in some ways. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, he was in uh, Bull Durham. He played, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that, but he played a character who Never seen it. lost his virginity, I think. Anyway, um, I just feel like there could have been more there, more character development there. It, it's, a, it's a mixed bag, though, because I understand this is a character piece surrounded by a lot of great characters. So you either have to go one way or the other. And I feel like Cox just kind of went with the Walker character. He found the Walker character more interesting than the other characters, which is fine. But I, I wish there would have been just little character moments more. Cy Richardson gets some. He does. and Which is why I think you like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when Walker decides he's going to bring slavery back, uh, there's this great moment where they're sitting there reading this book. And it's actually one of the moments that worked the best with the comedy slash seriousness of it. The absurdity. Yeah. Because there's a lot of absurdity in this film. Because Cy Richardson's looking at him like, motherfucker, I don't want slavery. And, and That's why we're here. That's why I'm here, yeah. basically. And uh, Walker's trying to sell it to him by reading it out of this book and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's it, that, that moment works. But it, it's, sadly, there's few and far between of that. But I did like the Walker-Cy Richardson, the Ed Harris-Cy Richardson relationship. And I just wish there would have been more of that. Totally. Um, I, I agree. It works really well. It is a good relationship and a good dynamic. And... You can tell, because from the first scene, one of the first frames we see is Richardson in the thick of it with Harris. So you know there's a relationship there. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it, parts of it work, parts of it don't. And then, then I think my score is going to be reflective of that when we get to it. Uh, just a couple more notes, because i got to be done here in 24 minutes. Uh, and I want to give you time on it. Um, Megalomaniac, like I said, it's almost this film almost feels like a Caligula, Caligula-esque type thing toward the end. Not mm-hmm. not the film, but I'm just talking about the history of Caligula. Like it's like one insane decision after another. Just like it just yeah. gets more and more crazy, more and more crazy. And it's like what the fuck, you know? And you you can obviously tell somebody's losing control uh, of a situation, which is always the case. You I mean people make radical decisions, like Walker makes in this film, or like our government has made, or like many governments have made, and you just you just lose more and more control of it. And uh, it gets pretty crazy. My favorite quote of the film, though, it's in it's in Spanish. Uh, clearly, this is no ordinary asshole. <laughs> yeah, that is a good line. I'll tell you, the only thing I, well, one of the things I wish had been Caligula-esque was if we got to see Blanca Guerra oh, yeah. take off her kit, man. <laughs> yeah, she's, she actually, no, I'll tell you what, she puts in a great performance. It's it, kind of this, this uh, steely-willed woman who's kind of pulling the strings with all the men behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. she's in Santa Sangre. You remember her in that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
she's 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 a good actress she really is she's been in a lot of a lot of stuff uh usually sadly she plays like the mom of somebody or something like that nowadays but she's uh, very attractive lady mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's all that's all my notes Okay, so, uh, yeah, bold red letters we get in the beginning of this film. This is a true story. So it's it's pretty insane to think this is a true story, that an American man ruled Nicaragua for a couple of years. Yeah. It's just insane. Um, it has, the film early on has this slightly yellowy kind of orange, almost like, um, it was like parchment paper. Like it, it has an old, old kind of look that works. Um, one of the lines early on in the film that, and it's, it comes full circle with Harris, is when he proclaims... Uh, he proclaims, I'm tired. He proclaims, like I just proclaimed, um, unless a man believes there is something great for him to do, there is nothing great he can do. Yeah. And you, you get the sense, the big thing you get with Walker, he's someone of conviction. He may be insane, but he has, he believes absolutely what he's... Um, what he's doing, at least until the back of the film, when even he, there's a line where even he says, I don't know what I believe or something. But up until a certain point, you know, he is fully invested and believes what he's saying. Right. Walker, Walker's picking up what Walker's putting down, <laughs> as he might say. Yeah, he would definitely uh, let you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's very much a man of principle. He has his own principles, his own code, his own morals. Uh, that he believes firmly in sticking to. Because there's a moment where we know Vanderbilt's the most powerful man in the world, and he tells him basically to get stuffed because he doesn't like what he's saying. Um, I like that, you know, when they're trying to entice uh, Walker to go to Nicaragua, they say, there's bare-breasted women under trees of fruit, seven of them to every man. Yeah. It's like, well, fuck, if I had a walk, that would be enough for me to go. (laughs) You know. That's a selling point. Yeah, it is. Um, Boyle as Vanderbilt plays him very much as a, a boorish pig. Yeah, got the great, uh, got a silver and go moment with the I do what I want. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which either either works or it doesn't work. And again, it, it, it's kind of absurd. Like some mm-hmm. of the, yeah, again, I think a lot of the problems with tone kind of come in that one scene right there. So agreed. Yeah. Um, the righteousness of our self righteousness of rocker rocker. Walker, it's very timely. It's in ways very timeless. Um, I think it works what Cox was, I was going to say Cocker, what Cox was saying then, because it makes Cox and Walker. Yeah. Um, what Cox was saying then and what, what you could still say now. Um, there's some pretty good shots of trees and mountains and just how inhospitable certain aspects or portions of Nicaragua were. Um, I don't know what that note means. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I had said, and you said, Stormer's score is just a little too ironic and playful for my tastes. Yeah. Um, I think the music's fine. I just think you know it doesn't fit the tone of the film. That's the problem. No, no, not at all. Uh, yes, I mean, um, Walker looks like a man of the cloth, which you know he is a deeply religious man. He's a man of conviction, so. And that was intentional to have him look almost like that, like a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, the march through the town, yeah, very wild bunch. You know, like we said, there's there's definitely, I mean, be, even beyond all the obvious stuff, very much a Peck and Pie influence. Um, it, it's weird, you know, Walker, when he first gets done, there's these moments when he's just so oblivious 
he's just strutting through the town as his men are just dying all around him. And he just he's so oblivious. He keeps on marching. He just doesn't care. He's so single-minded by what he's trying to do. And so it seems almost like he's very lost in his own thought and the own monologue in his head all the time mm-hmm. as, a, as a man. That he just doesn't even realize what's going on around him a lot. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's self-obsessed and... and- you know, just he's he's a Michael Maniac. He's he's just one of these kind of guys who just you know, he 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 becomes. It's almost like Manifest Destiny or something. He becomes like you know, so caught up in power mm-hmm. that you know, especially. And I do like that that part of of, uh, of uh, Harris's performance where he, you know, toward the back end, it's like they're coming at him with all these problems, and he's just making these random crazy decisions that are like, dude, what are you doing? Everybody's looking at him like, calm the fuck down. Yeah, I guess one where no one like no one's like bit by bit less and less people are buying what he's saying. Right. Nobody else is picking up what Walker's putting down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. Um, the stuff in the church works well. They get into a church and it's kind of this feverish documentary handheld style stuff. Um, bullets, fucking blood, everything. The squibs, like I said, are some of the better squibs I've seen in recent memory, though. Yeah. No, yeah, no, they're good. They're good. Um. Oh, you know what a lot of his people, the Immortals, reminded me of um, were the Gorch brothers from Wild Bunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Very boorish, you know, like just pig, kind of stupid, loudmouth pigs. Um, very much like the the Oats. Uh, the Oats. Um, and the Johnson. Um, <laughs> the Oats and the Johnson. Yeah, I want the oats on my Johnson. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, the wife, like I said, yeah, is really good in this. Um, I like when there, there's a uh, Walker's commissioned uh, the local artist to do this painting of his taking of Nicaragua, and he says something like, "Oh, this is all wrong. This should be glorious and proud." And the artist kind of proclaims, "Well, that's not the way it was. Well, I've painted it the way it was." And it just kind of goes to show Walker has this. This grand notion of what he is and what he's doing, and it is completely in contradictory to what he's actually doing and what he actually is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? There's a very unhinged, freewheeling lunacy in the film. There's a lot of anachronisms in the film, a lot. Uh, everything from you know Mercedes Benz is driving through the village to computers time magazine coca-cola marlboro cigarettes yeah a lot of these i I wonder i mean obviously he's starting to make commentary at that point right at that point he's changing oh he totally is yeah he's starting to hit you over the head with what he's trying to do and that's where i think that self-centered stuff you kind of talk about starts to come in a little bit too much yeah we don't need that coxie we know what you're saying right we don't need the coca-cola we don't need the corporate stuff at this point we know what you're saying Mm mm-hmm um, it's you know it, it doesn't work. It becomes a distraction. It does. Like it be- I said, it, you just- know what it becomes for me? It becomes okay when I watch this film again. It become okay, I'm gonna wait. I'm I'm watching, and in my head, I'm going, okay. When is the first time that reality gets broken in mm-hmm. this film? So I'm waiting to see it. So it becomes a guessing game. It becomes a movie that you watch to look for the moments of reality being broken. Yep. As opposed to a film that's trying to get you get a point across. No, totally, man. Totally. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, a couple moments, too, where he's even, speaking of uh, spaghetti westerns, uh, Julio Questi's uh, Django Kill, 
where someone's like trying to dig at the like give me his medals when someone dies or trying to pull all the gold off of someone when they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so jungle kill. Um, I, just, I just saw that. I just saw that gif from uh, James on silver and gold of the uh, big dodo coming down the. <laughs> Oh, the uh, <laughs> the uh, convey- air- <laughs> yeah, the, the airport, the baggage claim area. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> um, maybe sanitize nothing before using it. Ooh. Um. <laughs> okay, so then the military shows up in the news agency in a helicopter. We're really heavy in the anachronisms now, anachronistic stuff, um, and. And then, it's, you know, one thing I did like at the very end, not to spoil anything, but it seems like, uh, what's the, the gentleman's name that was in um, the original Night of the Living Dead? Dwayne Cooper? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Seems like seems like at the very end, there's a nod to Dwayne Cooper in Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Our hero. One yeah. of our heroes. All right. Something that happens. Um, yeah, and then we get sort of the film's ends, and there's credits, and there's the TV with Nicaraguan bodies being kind of washed and and a lot of horror and children crying and stuff. And, and I'm okay with that because I think he very clearly wanted to make a message. I just didn't like some of the more kind of ironic stuff he did to get there. But, uh, yeah, those are all my notes. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. No, I'm pretty sure I know. My break for this film is inconsistent tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a good film, and I think it's a mess. But like a lot of Cox's films, I think that it's interesting. And, you know, and I think Sylvan Go kind of talked about this when he talked about Straight to Hell, how they, you know, there's it almost felt like they were conflicted sometimes when they were talking about it. And I feel like that's a lot of Cox films. That you, mm-hmm. there's moments where you're just like, yeah, man, yeah, that's the one, yeah. And then there's other moments where you're like, what the fuck? You know, come on, man, you had the moment in your hand. That's my problem with Cox. I feel like he's a talented filmmaker who has a wealth of knowledge. But just speaking from my own personal opinion, mm-hmm. I feel like he's shot himself in the foot knowingly too many times for me. Like I feel like, man, you had, like you said, you had this right here in your hands. Yep. You had everything to, to make a great film. You had the talent to pull it off. But, you know, you get yeah. mired in kind of irony and self-satisfaction. Right. Uh, my MVT for the film is Mr. Ed Harris because I do believe Harris brings it in this film. Uh He's pretty over the top at moments. He's pretty dead on in other moments. Uh, but he seems to get the majority of the film. He's, his tone never really changes, and I like that. His tone pretty much stays the same. And he seems to hit it right on the head to me. I wish the film would have been like Paris's performance. Maybe it would have been much more serious, but that's been okay. I think this is a serious subject. I think it should have been yes. probably approached that way. Or and even if it's going to be satire, at least... It needs to be satire from the beginning, and I don't feel like it is. I feel like saying it's satire too now might be like saying, "Whoops, you know, we messed up," because mm-hmm. I feel like there's two different films going on here. My um, score for the film six out of ten. I think mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm steady on that because uh, I, I do believe it's an entertaining film. It's got good things about it. It's it's got good performances. Uh, I would recommend people check it out, but I would also recommend that people be warned that it's very inconsistent. It's definitely a cult film because of its inconsistencies and it's kind of all over the placeness. But uh, yeah, it just it doesn't work for me completely. So six out of ten. Okay, fair enough. Um, it's weird. I'm not going to go with a make. I'm going to go with a break. But the film didn't wasn't a break for me. It just 
uh, it's what I already talked about, the irony and self-satisfaction, the, the insistence on look how clever we are. Um, you can get your message across and the absurdity of of what Walker was doing and the, and the message, the overall message of why you made this from the commentary on American foreign policy without it coming off this way. So what kind of broke or, or did knocked it down a couple points for me was that they were too self-satisfied and ironic about what they had done. Because um, this could have been like a favorite, an all-time favorite if it had have played, a, played it reasonably straight. Um, MVT, yeah, you got to go with Harris. I mean, the cast is pretty great, man. They, they're, all, they're all in it to win it. Um, everyone does a great job. Um, getting into the lunacy of the film, but yeah, Harris is is the the, the driving force. Walker, um, and my score is higher than yours. It's a seven point five out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like this film, but I just like you. I wonder what could have been because um, you know it just it, it was ripe to be you know just a tremendous film. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh man, having throat issues this morning i hope it isn't from the cocks <laughs> all right so we got like uh five minutes here i'm gonna play a couple of pieces of feedback then at least knock out mm-hmm. a couple here I got one from uh sandy and one from uh, james so, so from manchester so let's let's knock these out real quick and at least we can say we did a couple <laughs> Sorry, I in. oh cocks and um, I, I realize you guys probably won't get to this for a while, and that's fine. And I'll try and keep it short. But this is concerning the Seattle trip, um, which was amazing and awesome and terrific. And um, I've informed my husband that uh, every time we go over to that side of the mountain, we are going to have to swing by and, and, and at least visit DZ. Uh, he thinks I was completely nuts. I actually got, I think, about two hours sleep, maybe an hour. Uh, before I had to go to work the next morning, and it was quite the inter- interesting drive. Uh, it was a very tiny car in comparison to the size of the people that were in it. All of them were at least five seven or taller, and it was basically a four-seater. So the crunching that went on was hysterical. We were actually going to avoid the car if possible, but it just didn't work out that way. And we spent a great deal more time in the car getting lost trying to find uh, Sammy, where he was hiding out at. We, for a while, we were pretty sure he was on a freaking boat, and we were going to cuss him out, and, you know, and then force him to take us on the boat. And then uh, we got lost really bad doing that, but we're good to know that Sammy's his crew got lost getting him where he was, too, so that's okay. It wasn't just us. And then we got, I got lost, and Sammy got lost. Well, we didn't get lost. Just trying to drop the guy off. There was something thwarting our every freaking turn. Yeah. And to top it all off, as soon as I dropped him off, my main intersection right back onto the freeway so I could get going where I needed to go was closed for construction. So Ooh. I had to drive across a big, empty, scary part of town before I could get back on the freeway. So it was just a very strange night for transportation and stuff. And if my idiot brain had gone to the Scarecrow video thing, because DJ and I have talked about it, he's been there quite often, I know Rob would have loved it. You know, if we had thought about that, we all could have gone just straight there and saved this whole finding a place to park and finding a place to have coffee. And, you know, we would have got kicked out of two eventually. But, yeah, I didn't come up because that's definitely a goal um, for some of us who were in the area. And Sammy is just, uh, it it was really neat. With any gathering, there's always awkward moments where you're like, "Ah, you know, this conversation you know, we need to keep this going, this is exciting, this is fun, but 
what do we say next? You know, what do we not say? What do we do say? You know, and, and if there were those, as there were with anything, but, but hardly at all. I mean, it, uh, Sammy is it's so weird calling him Sammy, too, even though I've always called him Sammy. Um, <laughs> that, you know, just confident gentlemen, even in person, and everybody. And, and no matter how the conversation went, it was, you know, it was, it was very good about what we could talk about, what we couldn't talk about. You know, got interviews and things coming up. And, and you were great at asking people questions and keeping people engaged. And, and I don't want to call Rob out, but obviously he was very nervous. And that was just awesome to watch him talk. And shoot, have you guys seen his photography? It's freaking amazing. My other idiot moment is, at one point as we were getting in the car, and he had already crammed himself in the back. He's like, well, I can go get my camera. I got a pretty good one. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, we got one. Don't worry about it. Well, never brought it in. Ended up using my fuzzy phone camera. And I got back and saw on Facebook his photos again, and I was like, holy shit, that's the guy that wanted to bring his camera? What were we thinking? <laughs> I mean, he takes some amazing work. So if you oh, haven't yeah. seen it, you should look it up. Yeah. And, um... Anyway, it was a wonderful trip. DZ and I um, got laughing so hard on just sidebar comments to each other that I, I don't even know if the conversation even stayed on course most of the time. But uh, if you ever have a chance to meet any of these gentlemen, they're great. Rob has got tons of, of thoughts and opinions on, on cars and car movies. That's really his thing. And, and he's got lots to say, and it's always really neat stuff. And, and so that's a, you know area of films that you hear people talk about, but that definitely seems to be his niche. And um, it, it just was an amazing time, and it was well worth every minute of it. I'd do it again, although I think my husband would tie me down and stop me from doing it again right away. Um, <laughs> I'd do it again in a heartbeat. So, nice. If you guys ever have a chance to, to do this, listeners, podcasters, whatever, these little meetups are great. Right before this, I got to meet Randy and Brother D and Miss Bren and over in Portland a little while ago and you know, made a mad dash trip there, and that was worth it. And it, it's just, it really is family. Once you get together, you feel like family. And so, anyway, I'll shut up now. Uh, love you guys. Had a great time. Still listening after all these years. Um, I'm like a fungus. You'll never get rid of me. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> all right, there's Demise. If I can find the button. There you go. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, the meetup was great, man. And I take it as a very... Uh, a, con- a comment that means a lot to me is that, uh, you know, she called me the consummate gentleman stuff because I do feel like a lot of times when people are together, they don't let you, you can obviously tell when people are not really that comfortable talking with a group of people and you kind of you, you got to give them their space. You got to you kind of got to steer the conversation the way they want it to go, where they are comfortable and stuff. And it's pretty yeah, good. I, I was so happy when I started seeing those pictures pop up. Um, that you guys got to do the meetup, and you know, I really happy Rob got to make it, and just all th- all four of you guys got to get together, man. It's uh, wish Seattle was closer for me, and I could have swung yeah. over. Like if I lived in Vancouver, I could have just came. Hey, it's a trip. I mean, it's a trip, yeah. but I wasn't gonna miss it, you know, not for the world, because Ooh. you know, I would. I don't know when I'll be back in Seattle, so. Yeah, it's far away. So that you know, that, that's that. All right, let me get this one from James because James doesn't send in voicemails hardly ever. And uh, I want to get this. Uh, I want to get this one on the air. So here we go. I've been trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. <laughs> Good afternoon, gentlemen. It's James. Um, this is my first time calling in after my uh, ridiculously long absence from from the Facebook while I uh, sorted out the my the hectic program in my life of getting married and being ill and 
just basically getting my shit together. I've slowly missed the cries of, what the fuck are you looking at from a wife while perusing <laughs> uh, the gentleman's uh, Facebook? And it's uh, it's it's a community that I've, I've sorely, sorely missed. Um, I've watched some outstanding films, recommendations of people. I've got a list as long as my arm of films to watch that I'm sure I'll get round to this getting ridiculously bigger every single day and I've uh, managed to tweak my PlayStation so I can get the uh, US Netflix which is just an absolute bounty of delights oh yeah and I'm sure uh, my boy Paul's been doing me proud uh, during said absence there's uh, oh, yeah. there's one reason that I wanted to ring up and, and just I hear uh, our outro put there. something across <laughs> to you basically um, I got in touch with a guy called Sam Meach uh, a couple of weeks ago and he has joined together with a community in a town called Moston, which is just north of Manchester, um, north of the city centre of Manchester, shall I say, and they have turned an old miners' club into a cinema. So you think, right? Okay, they've oh. turned it into a cinema, and that's I thought some seats and uh, just a little projector. What they have done with this space is absolutely outstanding, um, and it just goes to show that all it takes is a few people to pull together, get some elbow grease down, and what they have done with this space I, I, you look at go on my Facebook page have a look at some of the pictures and you'll see they've turned a, what was a derelict building into a cinema it's absolutely fantastic um, and I, I absolutely cannot wait to get involved we have a festival kicking off this weekend at the 26th uh, and we're showing Jaws on the Saturday and I'm involved with the screening of Let Sleeping Corpses Lie on Halloween nice. um, where they get to see the joys of the Love Lock and some vintage <laughs> Manchester as well so uh, after this, uh, we're going to try and get a film program together where I'm going to hopefully do a, a monthly night showing your occult and just 70s paranoid thrillers, anything. Cannot wait to get Yellow Robes, J&B, Silver, Nero, Castellari, DeLeo out to people who otherwise may not have heard of these films that we absolutely love. So it's just a testament to... Um, our community and film communities in general that absolutely love cinema and uh, will put in their own hours, their own time to to make something that other people can enjoy and use. So get in touch with me if you want to know more about it or you can tweet the cinema itself at, at a small cinema or me at the Lonsdon and if you've got anything you can give us to help, uh, any old film posters you don't want, crappy film memorabilia you don't want um, please send it our way we'd, we'd, we'd absolutely love to, uh, to to put put things up that people have donated uh, all the screenings are free by the way so if you're ever taking a trip up to Manchester then get in touch, come down, have a look at it get involved um, we're always open to ideas we're always open to uh, suggestions of how we can better the place anyway it's been a pleasure talking to you um, hope to do this more um, and yeah I'll definitely keep in touch pleasure speaking to you love you guys take care bye bye alright the lovely James there he was great uh, Paul, awesome. Paul wanted him to call in because he wanted to hear what his accent sounded like on the uh, show Paul, <laughs> Paul doesn't feel like he has a great uh, like a thick uh, Manchester accent but then when he calls in he says it sounds thicker than what he thinks you know he yeah got- that's the way it goes but he's he's right Paul's been repping hard for for Manchester in uh, <laughs> in his absence, the Red Waffle. Don't Google that, as Paul says. Yeah, don't Google uh, that. I have never. I, I just came up with it on the spot because he's a Manchester United fan, and he seemed to be fixated on 
Blue Waffles at the time. So, um, yeah, it's, I won't make a United joke <laughs> at the expense of Blue Waffles, but, you know, we got handed uh, our asses by them yesterday. Uh, Arsenal, of course. Uh, I'll tell you what, James, uh, you don't have to accept this, but if would you guys be interested in having a GGTMC poster up in the theater? Yeah, that'd be nice. Because uh, we could probably send you one, uh, one for your troubles and one for the thing if... Uh, Sounds good. If you're so inclined to do so. So let us know. And uh, I might have a few other posters kicking around that I'm not. I, I keep saying I'll frame and five years later I haven't framed. So I'll take a look and see <laughs> what I have. I can't give up my white poster, my white Warriors poster, but I got a few. Uh, nice. Few It'd be nice to have a GGTMC poster up, though. I would, I'm thinking it would. So, James, let us know. And, uh, yeah. All right, so that's the uh, that's the big show. That's everything. Um, normally we do pleasantries, but I really got to run. Yeah. But let's we're gonna do diabolic next week. You're diabolic. Yeah, we're gonna do diabolic, which is supposed right. to be our Halloween episode. Uh, diabolic Halloween episode that is. So it didn't work out. Um, it was gonna proceed our Halloween episode. We are going to be covering um, two films that we're both quite fond of. Uh, one is one of the sleaziest Jallo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. Ever have ever seen? Uh, it is the Blue Underground Blu-ray, the sleaziest the films I've ever seen. Yeah, of uh, Lucio Fulci back on the show, the king apparently of the GGDMT. <laughs> uh, Lucio Fulci is the New York Ripper, and a film from a few years ago that made my top ten list. And I don't know if you'd squeeze it in in time, but you liked it. I don't know. It was in my it was in my top twenty, I believe. It might have been oh, in my right. top ten. It was in my top twenty. Good. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was I think top twenty for you. A film that we both quite love. It'll be great to stretch our legs and talk about it. And that is a film from Mexico. Uh, the cannibal film, We Are What We Are. A, a cannibal film that doesn't make me as queasy as most cannibal films I watch. Yeah, it's got a hot sister in it. Ooh, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> get my motor running like Steppenwolf. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, that is the big show. I said I got to run a dog to the groomer. Uh, sorry we couldn't get to everybody's feedback. We're going to get to more of it. We got another feedback show coming the week after next, so we'll try to get more of it knocked out then. Um, yeah, so that's everything. By the way, did you end up with the other film for the other feedback show? No, I okay. haven't yet. All right, just let me know. Um, I got the one, the double deuce. but Okay, the double douche. We can always do that first if we need to. If we need to, we will. All right, so that is everything. With that, I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 